Hey, good morning, Tri Village. It is so good to be with you. Uh, I, at times, I uh, feel like uh, I am the long lost brother of Will. Um, just a little lighter, okay? Um, so I, uh, I'm excited to be here because I continue to hear the stories of what God is doing here. Will just speaks so highly of this place and of you. And uh, I just, uh, this last uh, semester, last year, I was up here, and I wasn't here for the services, but I would get here with some of your leaders and have time with them. And I'm just excited about what God is doing. Um, and so I, I've been praying that God would just work and move in us today. Um, I, I will probably be a little different than Will. I don't have the, the cologne like Will has, so I probably don't smell as good. But, uh, but I hope that today, like every other week, that you hear from the Lord and what he has to say. So um, we've been in this series, this series called Living Hope. And Living Hope is this journey that we're taking as a church through the book of 1 Peter. And so uh, as we've been going, I want to just encourage you to get out your Bible Turn on your Bible. If you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. Feel free to go get that. And turn there to 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Okay? That's where we're going to be. If, uh, if you don't know where 1 Peter is, just open the front cover. You're going to find a table of contents, and you can just look for that. Turn there. Or ask your neighbor. Okay? Feel free to ask somebody, hey, where is 1 Peter? Don't worry. Will had to ask me earlier this week where it was, and so I helped him out with that. So uh, make sure that you are there with us, because I believe that God wants to speak to us through the words that are written here. So 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, and this is what it says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. God, I ask that in this moment, as we take this short amount of time in our week, that, and we open your word, your book, where you are speaking to us, that, that you will move here. I pray that the words that I share would be the words that you desire for this community. Um, may you have your way in me right now, and may you have your way in each of our lives. And so, Spirit, I invite you into this place to do whatever you want to do. If it's convicting, if it's encouraging, whatever it is, have your way. In your name I pray, amen. So we, uh, as we are looking at this, I want to make sure that as keep your uh, copy of the scriptures open because we're going to be working through this. But as we've been going through, Peter has been writing this letter to his readers, and he has been touching on such a different variety of topics. He has been talking previously on how to worship God, how to really build up this strong faith 
in God and, and what that should look like. He's been talking about suffering. He's been talking about uh, this, this new people that they have become in Jesus. And then because of that, he's talked about what our relationship, what our relationship should be with culture, with government, with our bosses, whatever it is. He's been leading us along this journey in writing here. And now he gets to verses 7 through 11 in chapter 4. And he is going to direct his readers, us this morning, to have a sense of urgency when we live. So you're going to see this, and, and whenever you look at this, this is a sense of urgency that we must have as a community here at Tri-Village. So when I married my wife, Angie... Uh, I was the one that was going to plan the honeymoon. The honeymoon that I was going to take her on the trip of a lifetime. I was saving every dime I could so that I could take her. Because, you know, trips are expensive. We would probably never take a trip ever again. And so I was saving up. What little did I know was that my wife would end up being the owner of a travel agency. So I was not really that great at planning trips, but I thought I was good. And so I ended up telling her the night before our wedding, well, this is where we're going to go. We're going to go to Hawaii, to the island of Kauai. And I thought, man, this is great. I've done all of this. And so we ended up going. And as we landed on that island, I had this sense of urgency. Like, this is going to be the only time I ever get to do anything like this. And, and Angie had a sense of relaxation, okay? And so we had a little bit of a different mindset, but I thought, you know what, this is going to be good. So as we entered our hotel and our hotel room, it was all good, and we opened the door, and there were two double beds. You know, that's a perfect setting for a honeymoon, right? And so we walked in, and because we had only been married for 24 hours, we didn't have all the tools and the, the long history to be working through how this trip would go. And so Angie, in her graciousness, she allowed me to kind of take control of things. And because my mind was full of this sense of urgency, the next five to seven days were going to be jam-packed with all sorts of things because we had to experience everything that was in that place. She's still married to me today. <laughs> See, I had this sense of urgency, and that urgency made sure that I lived in a certain way on my honeymoon. There are times for some of us that we have been in a hospital room with a loved one when the days are going to come to a close on that life, and that sense of urgency means that we live in a certain way with that person. Or maybe you've been there when the diagnosis has come down. And that sense of urgency where you have to, you have to say certain things and, and do certain things because time is limited. Or the baby is coming and, or your kids are growing up too fast or this job is going to start and it's going to change things. We all have these settings and these seasons in our life where we have this sense of urgency to do certain things. And what first, in 1 Peter, what Peter is writing to us right now is that we should have a sense of urgency. Notice that how he starts it. He starts it with, the end is near. The end of all things is near. Now, as we look at this, I want us to leave today, and I want us to leave with a sense of urgency. 
I don't want it to be something that's overwhelming or stressful, but I believe that God wants his followers to have a sense of urgency with the time they've been given here. And so what I want you to understand is that your actions today have implications on eternity. Your actions today have implications on eternity, forever. And so what we find is, uh, is this beginning in verse 7. So look at verse 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Now, I believe that whenever I read this, there is a myth that many of us as Americans can come to this, this myth and we can believe that this is happening. And the myth is this. It's that the world is getting better. Now think about it for a second. Think about communication. There was a day that we would write a letter and we would give it to a rider who would hop on a horse and then ride that horse to some other place and deliver a message. But now we type out a text and it instantly gets there on the other side of the world. I called my brother this week. I didn't know my brother lives in town. And so I called him to check in, see what's going on. He answered the phone and there was all this noise. I said, where are you? And he said, I'm in London. And there was not a miss in communication at all. It was like he was right there. See, we can think, well, the world's getting better. Communication has gotten better. I mean, think about this. Science has come up with cures for diseases. It's amazing. Science, the knowledge in science is growing. But they have not come up with a cure for aging and death. See, we think that if the right person gets voted into some government uh, seat or the right person is in that office, then things will get better. And what Peter is doing is, he re- is he, he's reminding us that the end is near. The world isn't actually getting better. It's still full of the mess and the sin that is all over the place. And so he's saying, this is the reality. The end is near. And why is he saying that? It's because he physically walked alongside the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And the reason I, I put it that way is because when Peter writes that the end is near, it's, he's writing it because he's recognizing what has taken place. He's recognizing that Jesus has ushered in a new day. Now think about it. Jesus came because there was a mess of sin in the world. So he came as the perfect sacrifice and he showed us with all grace and love how to live. And at some point then, he went to the cross and he gave up his life for us. But death could not hold him. Death could not keep him in the grave. And so he rose from the dead and then gave some clarity to his disciples and then ascended to heaven. And what Peter is recognizing is that Jesus ushered in the last days and you and I are living in those days right now. Now, this is a beautiful thing. This should not be anything that discourages us. But for some of us, we sit here and we go, the end is near? That's not fun. I mean, we we look at it and we say, okay, this, this is hard. I have things I want to experience. I have things I want to do. And yet Peter is telling us this because he's wanting us to recognize that there is a calling on our life. That as followers of Jesus, we're to live a certain way. 
And so when we see this, what we have to understand is that Peter is telling us that as Christians, for those of us that have surrendered our life to Christ, we aren't to understand that the end is near and so we remove ourselves from the world. He's saying in this moment, you are to engage the world. You are to, to go into the world. You are my people in a place that needs to know me. And so Peter is telling us that the end is, is near. Time is short and you have a calling. You have a calling to be intentional in how you live. Now, when we see this, what we end up seeing is that Peter starts with the end is near so that it captures our eye and then there's a word there and it says, therefore. So what Peter's saying is the end is near, but therefore there, there is something you have to do. That should be a word that gives us a sign of whatever comes next is something we have to apply into our life. So look at what he says. He says, therefore... And this is the first thing. This is practical action, and I'm going to ask you to take action this week. So he says, what are we to do? The personal action is we are to be alert. Look at that, that first word. We are to be alert. The word alert means that we are to watch, that we are to be self-controlled, that we are to be aware of the things around us. We're to be aware of what the truth is. Think about it. Have you watched one of those movies where the end of the world is coming? You know, the, the end, in, it can be a dramatic movie or it can be comedy. But the same thing happens in both. The end of the world is coming and everybody goes into a frenzy. I mean, they all go nuts. They're running all over the place. There's looting in the streets. All of this craziness is happening. Peter is saying, no, 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 no. Be alert. Be alert. Because we have the truth we know how the end is to come. And so we are to be alert so that the craziness that is happening in the world does not impact the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And so he says, be alert. Now this is key, and Peter's telling us, us this from his own experience. See, in Mark 14, if you were to go to that gospel, it's this scene. Jesus is about ready to be arrested. He's about ready to be arrested and to go to the cross. And so he takes his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And they are to be there and to pray. And so Jesus says, hey, spend some time praying here. And Jesus goes off by himself and spends time talking to God the Father. Jesus comes back to his disciples and he finds all of them asleep. That they weren't doing what they were told. And so Jesus ends up saying these words. He says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now the words that Jesus just, that I read to you there, he was saying those words to Peter, our author of this letter. So Peter's hearing the words of Jesus and going, oh, wait a second. We have to be alert. In the most craziness of times, we have to be alert and we have to be ready for whatever is coming because the end is near and we got to be intentional with what we're going to do. The second thing then, Peter says, is that not only are we alert, but Peter says that we are to be of sober mind. And when you look at, at sober mind, this is the mind is steady, the mind is clear, that we, that we know and we are thinking right. I would imagine some of us have been around someone who is intoxicated 
And when you're around that type of a person and you see that, their mind is swirling, they can't think straight, they can't walk straight, they can't have a clear vision of what the truth is. I mean, everything, the madness that's going on in their brain is impacting how they live. And so in that, when Peter is saying that we are to be of sober mind, he's saying to have a clear mind, you know the truth. So hold on to that truth. Don't let the, the, the news of what is happening out here impact the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. To think right. So we are to be alert and we are to have a sober mind. Why is that? Well, it leads to something, and Peter says it in verse 7. It's because we are to be intentional in our prayer. We're to be intentional in our prayer life. And that's because your actions today have implications for eternity. So Peter is telling us to be intentional in prayer. Now, let me, let me tell you this. Um, when Peter says this, he's saying that our prayer shouldn't be routine, the same thing, or it shouldn't be nonchalant. Like, we should take this serious. So this happens. My kids, uh, my kids are here with me, they're at an age where they can take care of themselves. I mean, they can get their own food, dress themselves. You know, I don't have, they set their own alarm, don't have to worry about a lot, right? And so they, they can go through their day, and then at the end of the day, we can get to it, and it doesn't matter, at different times of the day, this can happen, but this is what takes place. All of a sudden, I'll be in a room, and I'll hear one of them say, Dad, will you come pray with me? Now, before you go any further, let me just tell you, that may sound like I am dad of the year because my kids ask me to pray. I mean, they're like, they're holier than anything, right? But I am not dad of the year, and I'm going to explain why. The reason is because when I hear that, I'm in my chair, and I got my feet up, and I'm watching my show, or there's three minutes left in the game, and you know one team is up by one point, and they say, Dad, will you come pray with me? And the thought that goes through my mind is, are you kidding me? And so what do I do? I hit the pause button on the remote, and I run up, and I pray a prayer with my child, one of my children, and I pray it, it's routine, it's the same thing, and it's done in less than a minute so that I can get back to the thing that I was doing before because that request interrupted my selfish time. Now here's the thing, I know that I'm not different than many of us in here. But what Peter is telling us is that you have been given prayer as a blessing because when we pray, we get to enter the throne room of heaven where Jesus is on the throne and that we have the opportunity to speak to the creator of all things, to the king of all eternity, and we get to present our requests. We get to, to speak to him. And so for me to look at my children and say, they want me to pray with them and it's become routine is not what we are being called to as believers. I got to tell you, I wish Will would be preaching this because that was convicting to me this week. 
Because Peter's telling us to be intentional so that whenever we enter prayer, it's saying, okay, we know the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now we are intentional in praying to him. And in that intentionality, we end up saying, I can't handle the situations that I'm praying about. I have to surrender them to Jesus because Jesus is on the throne and I'm not. And so when, when we look at this and we understand that this is what is taking place, we have to understand that prayer is an action that has implications on eternity. That's been something given to us. And so here's what I want you to do. You were handed a, a sheet of paper when you came in and for some of you, you're taking notes and you're writing some things down. And here's what I want you to do. What is it that is getting in the way of you being alert, of sober mind, and intentional with prayer. What is it? And I want you to write it down. I want you to write down what is the step that you need to take this week to be intentional in your prayer life. For some of us, it's going to be as simple as, I need to get up five minutes earlier because I actually need to start my day in prayer. Or I'm going to make sure that if it's that I'm praying with my kids, I'm going to set that time aside. Or it's that I'm going to have this time on the way to work and I'm going to do this. Whatever it may be, it might be a small thing. Now here's the deal. This isn't, you're not writing anything down for all eternity. You're writing down a small step for you to take in your life because Peter is telling us it's time for us to take action. We should have a sense of urgency. So I want you to write that down. If you're in a life group, I want you to share that with people, okay? Try to share what is it that God is leading you to in this. And so we, what we see is that these are the personal actions. These are the things that we need to put into our life, all right? Then Peter does something else. He then starts in verse 8 and things shift. In verse 8, it's now that we are to take action for the community of believers, so here's what I believe. I believe that Peter's writing this, and this is for Tri-Village Church this morning. That this, these things that we're going to see here are what we are to be about as a community of believers. So look at what happens in verse 8. He ends up saying, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. So the first thing that we are to do to take action as a community of believers is that we are to love deeply. This, is, uh, this might sound simple to some degree, but whenever we look at this and Peter writes this, he's describing this love when he says love deeply. It's a constant love. It's something that's ongoing. This is, this is not like a, an emotional thing. This is actually making a decision of your mind that you are going to love one another well. We, we can get some, some wisdom on this from the words of Jesus. In Matthew 24, 12, this is what it says. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So understand what Jesus is saying. As wickedness, remember, the world isn't getting better, but sin is increasing. So as wickedness and sin increases, what is happening in people's lives is that love is growing cold, but the church and the gathering of God's people are to be totally opposite of that. And as wickedness increases, our love for one another increases. 
And so you are to love one another deeply. And so when when this is happening, the goal of this love that we're looking at here is to seek the good for one another. To seek the good of another person. It's not for your good, it's for their good. That's the type of community this is to be. Now there's evidence of this, and the evidence of this is that we're not just going to tell one another we love each other. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Will and I, we, we do this. When we're on the phone on a phone call or just when we were here together, we will say to each other, love you, man. I love you, man. Now that's a, a great phrase for brothers that were split up at birth. <laughs> but here's the deal. I have to show that action to him. He's got to show that action to me. It can't just be words. And that's the way it is with us as a community. We say it, but we also show it. And here's the deal. For some of you, you're walking in here and you have tremendous needs. And the only place those needs are going to be met is in this community, which means that some of you have the ability to meet the needs. And so you have to love deeply and you have to get connected and you have to meet that. It's to be constant because in a world that is swirling and full of a mess, it needs to see a community of people that know how to love well. That is what Tri-Village is about. Now notice what it also says. If you read this real quickly, you're going to see that this love covers over a multitude of sins. Well, when we look at that, we can think, that, yes, we're all sinners. So what that means is that we're going to lift up the rug and we're just going to sweep the sins under and then put it back down. And that's not what Peter is saying here. What Peter is saying is, in order for the sins to be covered, it means that it has to have a group of people that are willing to forgive. You have to forgive. So here's the deal. Um, I sometimes argue with my wife, okay? I sometimes do. We're two firstborns, so we are strong-willed, okay? And here's what happens. Within my heart, one of, some of the hardest words to ever say is, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Why is that? It's because I got pride in my life. I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. But that's the same with culture. In this culture, in the culture we live, you rarely hear people say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But that phrase should be common within the church. And it should be common that we admit our fault, we ask for forgiveness, but then it should be common that we forgive one another. So Peter is saying, love deeply, because in a world that is a mess, it needs to see a community that is different. And the way that is different is because the grace of God is moving through it, and it means that people can forgive one another and to love each other well. So again, I want to ask you, who is the person that you need to love deeply? Who's the person that you need to make things right with? They could be sitting in this room right now. They could be in your life group. They could be at your work. 
But who do you need to love deeply? And I want to encourage you to write that first name down and that this week you spend time praying, saying, God, what do you want me to do? Because your actions today have implications on eternity. So then, Peter goes on. So we're to love deeply. And then the second thing we see in verse 9, it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is an interesting phrase whenever you see it. But the practical action here that we're to take as a community is that we are to be hospitable. We're to be hospitable. That's what we are called to. So i got to tell you, I'm fine. I'm fine with opening our home up to people. I'm fine with that. That word fine is not hospitable. Just so you know. See, uh, my wife and I, we can go on a date and she'll say, well, how do I look? And if I'm on my phone, I can say, oh, that's fine. Now, in a guy's mind, we're saying, that's good, that's great, you know, it looks great, that sort of thing. In a woman's mind, that is the worst word in the English language, okay? We have to get rid of the word fine. And we have to get to a point where we're saying good and great, and we have to be good and great when it comes to hospitality. So when I say I'm fine at opening up the home, our home, my wife is saying, when people come in, I want to make sure that this home is their home. I mean, she, she's warm and inviting. You know, we... For somehow, whenever there's families that come in and they have young children, we don't have young kids anymore, but somehow we still have toys for young kids. And it's to make them feel like this is their place, they can be here. It's a warm and inviting place. See, we are to do that with this place we meet in every week and in our homes. We're to be hospitable. This should be a place that is warm and inviting. In fact, hospitality is so important that Jesus was thinking about this before he ascended to heaven. In Matthew 28, what we see is that Jesus is about ready to ascend and he tells his disciples and he uses a phrase that is known as the Great Commission. And he says this, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a great phrase of what we're to do. But in that time period, whenever he's saying this, he's telling the disciples to go, which means that when they leave, there are no Motel 6s, that they need some people that are going to open their home and welcome them in. The gospel spread on the shoulders of people that were hospitable. So for those of you that say, well, my gift is just welcoming people, it's not that big of a deal. False. You and I are gathered here this morning because people were hospitable and welcoming to those that brought the good news and the spread on and on and on because doors were flung open and saying, come on in. Try village you have to be those people. You and I have got to get it in our heads that we are called to this, that this is what God has done as he has transformed our lives. We are to have this hospitality that says the foundation of the Christian movement was here on this, and so we will be this. Because your actions today have implications on eternity. Your welcome can change a life. 
So you're to take action. You're to, um, when you look at this, you are to be hospitable. And then there's a third thing. And the third practical action that we are to take is that we are to serve others with our gifts. We're to serve others with our gifts. So we love deeply, we're hospitable, and then we are to serve others with our gifts. Look at the next verse. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So when you became a Christian, and for those of you that have a relationship with Jesus, when you became a Christian, you were given a gift or gifts. And it is totally different than the person sitting next to you. Just as you were formed unique in your mother's womb, you are unique when Jesus has come into your life and he puts those gifts into you. And he does that because in his creativity, he knew that we are going to need one another. And so these gifts aren't for you to just hold on to and say, well, this is great. This is what I've been given. This is what I have. It's to say, well, because of this, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to serve others. So not so that I become great, but so that God's grace is elevated. His message is shared. So you weren't born with this. You were given this. We know that because in, the, in this verse, it says you have received. So it means that God has given this to you. And so whenever we're looking at this, Christian love must result in serving. And for some of you, you walk in here and go, well, you know what? I did my thing for the week. I went to church. And yet you've been given gifts that need to be offered to the community. And so the others of you are thinking, well, the gifts that are important are, you know, the, the worship team or, or will preaching. And I got to tell you, those are great, but those aren't the most important gifts. Every gift is important. Because every gift is to make sure that God is glorified through his people so that those outside of this community look and go, that's different. That's different. I want to be a part of that. And so you've been given this to serve. So here's the deal. If you aren't serving in some way, I want to encourage you to take that step this week. For some of you, you need to start serving uh, here on a Sunday morning or maybe it's at your workplace that you do something where, where you're, you're doing it and you're not even doing it for pay. Or you're going to serve your family or you're going to serve within your life group. Whatever it is, there is something that you've been given that is unique to you that you have to bring. And when you don't bring that to the community, we are less. And so we are to serve with our gifts because each gift is given for the betterment of the community. So you're to love deeply. You're to be hospitable. You're to serve others with love because your actions today have implications on all eternity. Then at the end of this, in verse 11, Peter talks about this and he says there's these speaking gifts and there are these serving gifts and we're to, if we're to speak, we're to make sure that we're speaking the words of God, that we are consistent with scripture and if you're serving, you're going to do everything with the strength that God gives you and you do that and those gifts are there but why? Not so that Tri-Village Church's name becomes famous. Not so that your name becomes famous but so that God is famous. So may that be our call. 
May we live this out. May we have a sense of urgency. And may we put these actions into our life starting today, just little steps to see what God wants to do. Amen?